My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Well, sometimes that is better. Hello and welcome back to the Kingcast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name is Eric Vespi. And I'm Scott Wampler. And we, as usual, are your hosts. This week we welcome a very special guest to the Kingcast. You'll know her as the star of so many of your favorite movies and TV series from Brian De Palma's Snake Eyes to Spy Kids and City, Watchmen, American Gangster, and of course her many head-turning appearances in Mike Flanagan joints like The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Blind Manor, The Fall of the House of Usher, and her sensational, devastating, and dare I say iconic portrayal of Jesse Burlingame in one of the best Stephen King adaptations ever made, Gerald's Game. We'll talk about that last one in great detail before this episode is done, but first things first, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Carla Gugino to the KingCast stage. Welcome, Carla. Woo-hoo. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you so much. I'm so happy we could do this. Yes. Uh, me too. Yeah, Very we're, excited. I was, big, big in fact, fans. I was prepping for this today by watching one of my favorite performances of yours. What did you um, watch? I watched uh, an episode of ALF called uh, <laughs> Standing in the Shadows of Love. Uh, I, I thought... <laughs> incredibly you're doing a scene in that that's like Cyrano de Bergerac and Alf is Cyrano it's true. Uh, yeah um not what <laughs> I expected you stepped on my joke I literally had that as like oh this is gonna be so great I'm gonna lead off with a very important your best iconic work and here you go you fucking and you did it better seriously than you, you seriously which is which is uh the fact that you did it better than you had a better lead up to it makes me even madder at you. <laughs> I mean, guys, you got to start somewhere, you know. Yeah, it's uh, true. Elf, I mean, Elf, Webster, those were my first two jobs. Webster. Um, I feel like you, you know, you, you really do, you know, you do your research, and I, I, I really admire you for that. Yeah. I, well, I was looking at your, you know, your Wikipedia page, and yeah, if it, I see Elf on somebody's, you know body of work i'm gonna have to say something about it that's just well yes know. it's it's also scary how long i mean when you keep going down my body of work like <laughs> this person is um it's strange she's only 25 and yet um, <laughs> uh, i was realizing um the other day someone was asking me something about how long i've been acting and i, I thought it's really scary but truly in you know within the next year or two it will be 40 years that's um nuts. which feels like I'm talking about somebody else, but uh, I guess that's what I've been doing for 40 years of my life. The only thing I've done for 40 years is breathe. <laughs> like, I don't think I've done anything that consistently for that long. That's, that's I, I think that really might be crazy. more important, actually. So. Probably. You're, you're Probably. doing well. You're doing well. I don't get well, paid to breathe, though. You know? you know? yeah, yeah, I was going to say, Car- Carla breathed, too. She just got to breathe with Alf, you know? Exactly. Like, like, <laughs> I guess let's let's start with a little House of Usher talk. Yes, okay. I think yeah, we, we Vespi and I both have. Um, que- do you have, do you have questions already lined up for Usher, Vespi? Oh yeah, uh, go for it. I I stepped on your fucking. Th- I really didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. You know, dude, it it it's like legitimately. I just thought it was awesome because I fucking love Alf as you know when I was growing up, and it's like it's so rare we get to talk to somebody who got to share the screen <laughs> with with one of the icons of television. Alf yeah. himself, Mel Max's yes. own Alf. Yeah, the the cat eating Alf. Um, no, like the, the, hush, the husher, the usher stuff that I wanted to start off with was, uh, congratulating Carla on her 
uh, Critics' Choice Award nomination, which yes. uh, I don't know if people listening followed this. This is something that my girlfriend like actually told me about like yesterday. She's like, do you follow this shit and see what the Critics' Choice did to poor Carla Gugino? <laughs> I'm like, what? I, I missed this. What happened? Yeah, yeah. Carla, do you want to kind of tell them kind of the unusual way you sure. got nominated here? Yeah, no, it was it was uh, so strange because um, the nominations came out and uh-huh. I never first of all, I never know what days any of those things come out. And so so somebody said to me, the Critics' Choice Awards have come out. And uh, and I looked and I saw that Mary McDonnell and Willa Fitzgerald were nominated, mm-hmm. which I was so thrilled about because, as you know, two actors bringing a single character to the screen is always a challenge to make mm-hmm. sure you feel that that's the same person, all of these elements. And so often, you know, people think that everybody gets a lot of rehearsal together or, you know, but so often you're creating these performances on your own with as much input from the other person as they're willing to give. And so I thought they did such a beautiful job. So it was, I was just extremely excited for them and mm-hmm. didn't get nominated. And, you know, I've had a career where I've been so fortunate to have wonderful reviews and and, and really genuine fans and, great creative collaborators who, uh, you know, respect me and all the things, but I just don't, I historically have not had a bunch of awards come my way. So I didn't really think that much of it other than that I was thrilled for them. And, and I was annoyed that the show wasn't nominated. So that day went by. And then the next day I, I got a call from my manager saying, um, I need, I, I need to FaceTime with you because I need to see your response because I have some really surprising and very good news. And I was like, I wonder what this is about. And ultimately that due to some sort of a, a mysterious snafu, um, <laughs> a, a talent was left off the, the uh, announcement. And it turns out, I think that the talent was only me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought initially it was me and some other people, but it was it was uh, just me. And uh, it turns out that in fact I was nominated for oh the lead actress in um, the <clears throat> Critics Choice for the Critics Choice Awards. And what was even stranger was there was a uh, a moment in that whole process in which there was confusion because at first they told me I was nominated in supporting actress, which for this particular role was was never what would be submitted, and you know it wasn't. Mm. So Mm -hmm. then they were like, no, 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 it's in fact, yes, you are. And so then I'm like, am I actually being punked? I think I might, (laughs) I think this might, you know, might not actually, this is actually causing me more stress than, and then it turned (laughs) out that it was in fact in the proper category. I was in fact nominated and I am, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite mistakes ever made in life that it took 24 hours, you know, it's like, um, that, that they uh-huh. had, that did not actually announce it initially um, because it, it made it a, a true surprise and, um, and I am extremely grateful for it. And, and, um, and uh, so, yeah, really, really for me, a very special moment for sure. Man, well, get your well shit learned. together, Critics' Choice Awards. What's yeah. going on over there? <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I don't know. I just, I do feel, I have to say, I, I think it's so consistent. It's not you know, with so many different organizations, so many different, I'm sure you guys are experiencing it too, but the amount of um, misinformation and, mm. uh, and I'm not even speaking just on a political terms or anything. I just mean like in regards to information going out too fast, nobody's checking it. Like, I, I think when we used to have people who could lose their jobs, if something wasn't being done right, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there was like an accountability yeah. where you felt like, yeah. Ooh, I better do this right. Cause I'm going to lose my job, you know? Right. And, um, and I think that now that so much is being done by AI and so much is being done through algorithms. So many, so many things are happening where there's not an actual person who's there doing it. And mm. I, I do think human error, of course, is, is always uh, uh, can happen. But usually when right. enough mm-hmm. people check something, you're going to find that error before it goes to press, you know. Right. So um, it's it's been it's been noticeable, that difference. 
Well, what's interesting to me about this is that it feels like, like, listen, follow the House of Usher's fucking rules, by the way. Like, everybody, I know it's become a phenomenon, people. I know it's hugely successful for Netflix. You know, it's a great, you know, thing for Mike's final, like, you know, I'm going to do this this last thing on Netflix before I move on to Greener Pastures or whatever to kind of leave with the mic drop that is Mm -hmm. this this fucking series. Literally, Wait, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike dropped himself. Exactly. Um, no, but he. Uh, what's What's really bizarre about this is like there's always this feel about the show for me about little this little delayed response, right? Because you know the show came out about it, everybody was super proud about it, but nobody can fucking talk about it because all the strikes were yeah. going on. Yeah. Right? yeah, it's like, and then you you know you have this, so it feels like kind of apropos that the Critics Choice nom for yourself I know. is like this weird twenty on this weird twenty four hour delay because uh, for whatever reason I just associate like the timing of of the show is like like it must have driven you guys fucking crazy because I know that you you all like love the work that you've done on the show and love the work that everybody else did on the show, but you couldn't talk about it. Yeah. No, it was so, it was so difficult to have something that, you know, it's so rare when you have the combination of something that is in and of itself, that that the process was creatively so fulfilling that you'd even be okay with just that. That was like, that in itself was a huge win and such an incredible experience. And then you have a show that, that actually does get a massive audience and that is really good. And then you get, you know, it's sort of to have the combination of the critical and, and also the critical response to it was very positive. And the fans were really embracing it. So all of this was happening. And I can say in a very long career, rarely does do those elements come together because so often you'll have something that is hugely successful, but maybe your role isn't, you know, is, is fine. It's, you know, it serves the purpose, but it's not something right. that would get a certain kind of attention. And then, you know, or you have uh, something you believe in tremendously that nobody sees. And so to have all of those elements come together, so extraordinary, and then to not be able to talk about it. Um, right. Was, uh, and it's also been, it, it is a challenge, I think, for, in regards to, um, just the acknowledgement uh, of awards wise or nominations for the show and for everybody in it, because it's such an extraordinary cast. And obviously Mike <clears throat> is, is a master to- storyteller and he and Michael Fimignari, you know, got to actually even up their storytelling game with Michael directing half the episodes with Mike and all yeah. of that um, is just such a cool moment. And I think that what's interesting is that so much of what, was all the people who wanted to do stories during that time, the New York Times, like all of these different publications, by the time the strike was over, they had moved on to new news sites. Sure. And that's that's a really difficult thing. And so what I love is that there's this groundswell of people who are advocating for it. And it is a, a more of an uphill battle to get the acknowledgements that it should get um, because of that. But there's just so many crazy things that have happened where I feel like somehow, um, not to be too esoteric about it, but like the universe is is going like, hey, look at the show. Because mm. in also crazy news, there was a very brief moment when the Golden Globes nominations came out that I was actually listed um, amongst this time, it was amongst five other actors, females, and 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 then there were five male actors that were all nominated from real shows, um, but in a category that does not exist at the Golden Globes. <laughs> Literally, and it came out in the announcement. So, like the people who were, which was not me, the people who were listening at the crack of dawn, um, said, "Oh my gosh, you're nominated!" Along with ten other actors who had the same, nine other actors who had the same situation, and it turns out that it was sort of like 
a, uh, a journalist who was a pundit who was guessing nominations. And because oh. actually Netflix hadn't even submitted Usher to the Golden Globe. So it was like an impossibility. <laughs> but it kind of was like this amazing moment where it was like, there's a nomination even in a show that wasn't even submitted for nominations for that. Mm-hmm. So all of this is to say that it's been very wonky and very strange, but I, I look at it more like the show warrants it and there's so much goodwill around it. And in a moment coming out of a time where we couldn't actually publicize it properly, it's so nice that it still is really resonating with people. I'm going to tell you, I think, I, and I've done a lot of thinking about this and I've watched Usher all the way through uh, a few times now. Um, I think this is my favorite of Mike's Netflix series. Mm. Wow. And that's saying something significant because it is. Really do, I mean, yeah. they're all great. They're all great and they all have their own strengths, you know? Um, yeah. But what I really responded to in this one is how devilishly funny it was. Yes. And I just absolutely did not see that coming. Yeah. You know, I tend to, after Hill House, Bly Manor, and Midnight Mass, you tend to expect a certain tone from Mike. For sure. Right. And, at no point in all the conversations that we had with him, like in the lead up to making it while he was making it, like at no point did he mention it was going to be funny. No <laughs> one did. And so that was a complete, a, a complete fucking surprise to me. Yeah. And yeah. I, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe how funny it was. Like, I know Mike's a great writer, but writing comedy is different than writing great drama. Yeah. And I'm, so here's my question in relation to this. Um, and you've got to pick one. <laughs> Which is your favorite of Mike's Netflix series? Oh, that wow. You've been in? Well, um, hmm. I mean, and we're not, and we're, we're saying series, right? Or, or is Gerald's Game included in this? No, let's go series. Okay. So with series, I would say for me, it's always been The Haunting of Hill House. Really? Um, well, and 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 yet I, I am going to make a certain sort of, there has been an adjustment in the sense that um, for me, Hill House had so profoundly, um, I think the thing that, that for me, since it's not as if I ever have gravitated personally to the horror genre. It's not like I watch a lot of horror movies. It's not Mm -hmm. that it's just that I gravitate towards great filmmakers and great storytellers. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when Gerald's game came my way, um, and that was a funny way that that all came about, which we can talk about later when we're talking about Gerald's game. But, Mm -hmm. um, when I, which you guys know, but when I spoke to, um, Mike, uh, uh, on, on FaceTime, when he was standing in the middle of the forest in Alabama, like, you know, scouting, and there was a, uh, a very poisonous insect at his feet. It turned out. Um, I, uh, I he, there was a distracting moment in our first initial Zoom, and it was really funny because he was like, "Oh my, I'm still alive. It's okay." Um, <laughs> but basically, it's, when he explained, when I read that script, I thought, um, much like Verna, actually, a totally different character, obviously. But I thought, wow, I, I, this will either be one of the most extraordinary experiences, creative experiences I have as an actor, and challenges in the best way or I will fall flat on my face and embarrass myself tremendously. Mm. And um, because there's no middle ground with, yeah. with either of those characters. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so in any case, I just thought, you know what though, this guy is, and he had already obviously made films that were really, I had then watched, watched Hush, which I hadn't seen. Yeah. And I love that movie so much. And Kate's so great in it as is Sam, Samantha, and, you know, it's just such a great, mm-hmm. um, but uh, so that, but I thought I want to, I want to, tell a story with this person. He, mm. he knows what he's doing. And so in that way, I feel like he told what I love about his work so much is that he never 
goes for the surface. He will always go deep. And so I actually found in terms of a study in trauma, um, I found the, the Haunting of Hill House to be truly profound. While being an, an absolutely entertaining and terrifying show, I actually found the, and, and so many people have come up to me, as I'm sure they have many people in the show, and just been like, it's really profoundly affected their lives in regards to their relationships yeah. with their families and mm-hmm. and getting through trauma. So that for me, I just found like to be a pretty exceptional combination of a sure. really entertaining piece that also had this sort of profound connection with people. But I have to say Usher is, I mean, I, I've never had a role like this, nor will I probably ever have a role like this again. So for me, this was an absolutely, you know, just I was an ecstatic experience in terms of um, getting to play Verna in her many incarnations. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say that what I love about my, and you can tell I'm, I'm, see, I'm, I'm not giving you an exact answer. I recognize that, but (laughs) I would say that I think Usher breaks new ground for him in a way that I find so exciting because it is so funny. And by the way, in reading it, that's what I said. This is, Mike, this is like super darkly funny, right? Like, am I reading yeah. this right? Like on the page, it feels like this is like, this is a send up in certain ways. Yeah. Um, but also you're always wanting to keep it grounded. So there's this like really wild kind of tightrope to walk with that. But these characters are super heightened. And he said, absolutely. That's totally like, this is like a black comedy also, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so for me, the fact that he was able to take Poe have actual poetry um, recited, mm-hmm. um, you know, have these gruesome deaths, have this cr- batshit crazy family um, who is so fucked up um, and, you know, peddling opioids, but also um, just just a, a, just a bunch of narcissists, you know, right. um, and, and then make you laugh um, is an extraordinary combination of elements. Like he really is just, he's such a master storyteller. And I love that like any great artist, he doesn't want to repeat what he's done before. Right. It's like, it's not right. interesting to him, you know? So that, that for me is, is um, therefore makes this, you know, I, I think the show is really spectacular and it makes me so excited for what he's going to do next, which I know you guys visited him on set. No. Yes. Well, I don't. I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. No, there, I think we but, can. Oh, okay. I think we're allowed oh, yeah. to say. I, <laughs> okay. You know, I, I would stop it at that. But okay. Yeah. Very good. We didn't. We we did spend some uh, days on the the life of Chuck set in Alabama a uh, couple months back, and he's you know he's directing a fucking movie, you know. So there wasn't a lot of like sit down and just shoot the shit time, you know. Totally. Most of what we talked about there was was Chuck, but um. There was there was a point where I was like, hey, we we have not had a chance to talk about Usher yet. And I just wanted to tell you how impressed I was by how fucking funny it was. Like, was that a, and I asked him if it was a conscious decision um, and he was shocked and he's like, how fucking dare you? I <laughs> he said, all, all my emotion in life. <laughs> he uh, he said that uh, he was like, well, here's the thing. You know, if you actually go back and read a bunch of Edgar Allan Poe, you'll find that, yeah, there's all the classic like horror stuff. But also he was a funny writer and was often, um, you know, kind of taking the piss out of socialites and, mm-hmm. you know, the upper class. And he was like, so it made sense to sort of port that uh, snarky tone that was that's very evident in Poe's writing. Yeah. over the series and I just 
you know, it, that would never would have occurred to me, but that's why I'm not Mike Flanagan, you know? <laughs> and, and I remember while I was watching it, I texted Kate and was like, I'm shocked at how funny this is. And she was like, yeah, he told us to play it like a comedy. So, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. It's, no, it man, was very clear. I, the show is great. It's just, that was like such a cherry on top of that Sunday. Also, yeah. not for nothing. It's horny as hell, that show. And totally. <laughs> we're in like this weirdly puritanical era where mm-hmm. people are. And when I say people, I, I mean, this is social media noise, but they're complaining about, you know, sex scenes in movies and how sex scenes never advance the plot and they're uncomfortable. And I saw a thing the other day where someone was saying that it's wrong to watch sex scenes in movies uh, or see nudity in movies because those characters, those fictional characters ne- did not give their consent to you watching like what do you even do with a fucking thing yeah, like that? You I, know? I, I think that it's it's interesting because coming from you know some of um my favorite movies are you know tie me up tie me down mm-hmm. damage the louis mall movie you know with yeah. juliette binoche and jeremy irons um i mean i can name so many films that are uh sex forward if you want to say it that way the and, hunger um, imagine and, if the yeah. hunger was released today i mean and, and that i know and i mean and i think that we i have to think that we will swing back to something where we can just tell stories yeah. and if those stories require um sex scenes between these characters they they will have them <laughs> and if they don't they don't need to be gratuitously there for sure but um but I also find sex, I mean, this is a sort of a whole sidebar conversation, but sure. I find, you know, sexuality is such an intrinsic nature, part of being human. It's yeah. just part of our nature. So for me, um, adult stories are, um, you know, stories that include, oftentimes if, it's, it's hard to tell an adult story without including sexuality. I mean, I, I do think that right. that's a huge part of, of how we function and what mm-hmm. we're all grappling with and 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 it's okay for them to be sexy too by the way i mean i, I think you know uh it's it's i also feel like somehow oftentimes you're allowed to have sex in a film if it is showing sort of the damaging nature of sex or or mm. um and and i think often it's like it's also a beautiful thing and we can also have right. a you know it's what a, a great romantic comedy that you could also have they could be having great sex in it i mean i do, i do yeah. feel that it's um i think with anything the always or never um, in regards to art is, is a, those open up tricky conversations. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think we can all, all agree that like in terms of displaying that on, on screen, of course we want all the actors protected. We want there of to be, course. you know, we want all that stuff, but yeah. And when it starts getting ridiculous, like when Scott was saying that it, where it starts getting, we need the consent of fictional characters. Yeah, in order. No, that, well, that's just, it, that just doesn't actually make sense. Yeah, it um, doesn't make sense. And you know, listen, and that's that's fringe, right? But there is kind of this 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 growing sense that like it's not even just about sex, but it's like anything that doesn't just directly advance the plot in a movie right. is uh, extraneous. And I've I've seen that like really smart people like that I normally would give a lot of credit to like start throwing that in there in in the discussion of why oh movies are too long now. It's like yes, movies can be over long, but you know, there's there's no you know good movie that is too long, and there's no bad movie that's that's uh, too short. Totally, right? and, and no, and as we know, I mean, again, yeah. yes, there can be. Of course, there are movies that are, are are too long, but I also think I've seen the opposite happen, where in the editing process, 
if you cut something too sh- too short and too fast, it's very hard for people to engage, and it feels longer than if it were actually the length that organically the story needs mm-hmm. to be told. You know. So I think. By the way, another movie that I uh, one of my favorites is End of the Affair, yeah. um, with Julianne Moore. You know that mm-hmm. movie, which is obviously. Uh, again, a movie that is so beautiful that if you were to take those elements out of that movie, I don't know what that movie is because it's a movie of sort of, you know, um, the themes require that. So, yeah, right. I, I think it's, um, well, and, yeah, and, the mo- and it's mostly this country, I will say also. Yeah. yeah. I think we still have the very American. Yeah. It's, um, it, I mean, I don't, we've talked about this on the show before, so I don't want to like, you know, I don't want to be redundant, but like, it's, yeah. it's just, it's wild to me that we were, it felt to me like as, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, in my forties and seeing the reaction of the generation behind me to the, the openness they have to everyone's sexuality, whatever you're into that, Hey, that's fine. You know what, you know, we're not going to kink shame and all, all this, all that kind of stuff. Like I saw this happening and I was like, this is amazing. Like these, these kids get it like this, this, yes. Like, sex positivity that's what i'm talking about right and um so for that to have like morphed into this to use the word again weirdly puritanical thing is bizarre to me like yeah it's it's almost like the pendulum was swinging in the right direction then stopped and just started swinging backwards mid-stroke it's and I think we have to just trust that it will also swing again. It will. Yeah. It always does. And, and the point is, it, it, there are two very separate things of like, of course, people should be protected on set. Of course, people should never do anything they don't feel like they want to do. Um, but if you are telling a story and everyone is game for telling that story and that's an aspect of the story, that's just another aspect of the story. For right. sure. You know, like for me, I think violence can be much more damaging to people. Um, mm-hmm. And we have these kind of, we have tons of, of, you know, things that have violence with no consequence. So, um, that, and, 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 you know, and, and for sure there's violence in Usher, you know, it it is, it is all about consequence, that story, Um, you know, it ultimately is. Very um, explicitly. Yes. Um, but, um, but I do think, uh, yeah, by the way, you know, I, I just saw a really interesting movie. It's the, it's the, um, German, uh, entry for Academy Award, um, called, uh, the teacher's lounge. Uh-huh. I haven't uh, seen that one yet. It, it's really good. Um, it's sort of, uh, it takes place with a teacher in a school, never leaves a school. And it's kind of a um, distillation of certain aspects of the way that our society is working right now. And it's really interesting hmm. and uh, really beautiful filmmaking. And it's um, a wonderful actress. I am forgetting her name at this moment. She's, I, I love, she was in Babylon Berlin, which is one of my favorite shows um, ever. I don't know if you guys have seen that Tom Tinker's show so good so good um it's it's on netflix it's a it's a german show and and tom teekfer who did run lola run right right oh uh, it's so good uh it's the weimar republic uh you know 19 late 1920s in berlin um and um brian ferry was the did the um sort of contributed musically to the first season From anyway queen um no brian ferry <laughs> not, not perry <laughs> yeah Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but anyway, so sh- she's in it. She's wonderful. Yes, but it's a really oh, good awesome. movie. Um, well, in terms of it representing pendulum swings, yeah. Yes, I'm. I, I think this is a good point to transition into. Now that we've gone down the rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. well, I'm. Let's start here. Uh, how do you do? You think Gerald's game might be received differently? Any uh, oh, today? if it were released rather than yeah. when it was released? I wonder, you know, um, 
interesting. That's a hard one for me to say. Perhaps, perhaps so. Although I don't know because that movie is so um, much. Because uh, that's the thing with with Mike. Also, I think because he is. Um, I don't think that exploring sexuality is like something that he is uh, super focused on. Like that's not, you know, mm-hmm. there are other filmmakers that that's more of like their language or, yes. um, and I think with him, it's more, you know, so there's never anything where uh, there's never been a position where I've thought, Oh, he would like me to go any further than I would ever want, you know, m- more so I'm probably more comfortable in that area. Um, so, so in, in Gerald's game, you know, the interesting thing is you see nothing, you know, it's, it's, it's right. a provocative movie, but um, but the nature of a, obviously a woman chained to a bed, um, I'm sure it would have, I'm sure met people have many feelings about that. What I thought was really interesting is that, you know, Stephen King, those Dolores Claiborne and Misery and mm-hmm. Gerald's Game, you know, sort of being in that trio of um, movies that where he was, seems to be, and you, you are all much more um, experts on this than I am, but seems to be grappling with his own you know, I know alcoholism and also, um, you know, drug use, right? Yeah. And, and, and trauma and, and looking at, at the facts of his past and how that's affected him and all of these kinds of, you know, sort of coming out in, in, in these three stories. And, um, if you do any reading on just, I find sort of so much of what we, so many people, there's an eroticization of shame. And Mm. from that comes, you know, a lot of, like sexual behavior that might not be the most healthy. And I think in this way, something that was really key for um, this movie is that, is that she's experienced a situation with her father that was sexual in nature and that Mm -hmm. was really inappropriate and that was hugely damaging. And so, you know, in, in doing in, so by the nature of, so she has to be, in order to re-experience that and in order to come full circle and heal it, it comes through the same form, if that makes any sense. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, and the the thing that I like about Gerald's game and what I feel kind of elevates it beyond, you know, trauma porn, you know, right. for lack of a better term, is that that it's not it's it's not a a cut and dry thing for Jesse, right? It's right. that she you she yes, she uses the trauma. Uh, and embraces it in a way that helps her survive. Uh, but like, but what I love about kind of what you guys did with the ending is like, you make a point of like it, you know, it's not the, you, you're dealing with the trauma isn't over. You're just now able to focus it into a healthy thing. You you've sure. come to peace with it in a way it's not, it's never going away. It happened. And, you know, and it's something that you're going to grapple with. And I think that that rings true for a lot of trauma survivors. Um, you know, Absolutely. maybe, maybe you could speak, you know, to that. I don't know if you, you know, making a story like this, I'm sure that, that then gives you maybe uh, a chance for encounters for people to be like this, this thing really helped me. I don't know if that ever happened to you on, on this, but I get the feeling like, like that this would be the kind of story where somebody would come up and be like, you know, this, this, uh, I'll give you an example. This isn't uh, in, in a trauma sense, but in right. a spiritual sense, when I watched midnight mass, I, I had to, write Mike and thank him for putting down to into words, my thoughts on spirituality. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm somebody who doesn't really believe in a, in a higher power, but you know, but there, there's a whole monologue in that where, 
you know, he, they're talking about the decency of humanity and and the goodness and wanting to believe and not believing. And it's like every single thing that was said is like that articulates for me what I've always I've never had the ability to put into words. And I can only imagine that a movie like Gerald's Game does that for for trauma. For you sure. Know, for, for trauma survivors, deep trauma survivors. You know. Yeah, I know. I thought what he did with Midnight Mass was just so beautiful and and right. really um seamless um yeah and in that regard in terms of again like dealing with the big subjects of life you know there's not much more there's nothing much bigger than exactly what you were just talking about so um yeah. but i do i no, absolutely i've had so many people come up to me um i think this again I, you know it's it's a not so secret secret that through genre and particularly the horror genre fantasy as well in certain ways but because you are um you have the trappings of something that is uh, scary and larger than life and hopefully highly entertaining. You also can actually get in and deal with the big, the big stuff, you know, and right. the themes that really matter. And and in this particular case, I love that this was like a little one act play. So yeah. we, we very rarely um, had time to escape uh you know, I, I think that what Mike did so beautifully and, and Feminari and the way that he shot it is that, you feel like you're having this experience with her and the fact that, you know, that Stephen wrote and that, that there's this, um, you know, her, her other part of herself, like we all speak to ourselves in our heads like that to some extent. And um, we have these parts of us that want to take ourselves down and that don't believe in ourselves. And then we have the parts of ourselves that rally and try to make it through. And I think that what you just want, like you were saying, it's not that it goes away. You just want the one voice to be bigger than the other. Right. And, and the one voice that is triumphant that goes, oh, yeah, I, I never knew. I've never seen how this is done. I never witnessed somebody doing this before me, but I'm going to show, learn. I'm going to find my way through. And, well, and um, a lot of people have come up to me about that. I love how that's seeded throughout. And I don't want to you know, harp too much on this, but like rewatching the movie last night in, in preparation for this conversation, like I, I don't think that I'd noticed the first time um, just how. Uh, Jesse's already using her recent trauma to help her. Right. So like, you know, the, the sex game that she's playing, right. You know, with her husband, it gets out of control and it, it gets to a point where a line is crossed right away. Right. 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 And the fact that, that one of the very first things that she does realizing she's thirsty is she's talking to herself and reliving the lead ups to that moment where he's taking the Viagra, where he's yep. whatever, all that stuff. And then realize using that as a realization to there's water in, in reach. Right. Yeah. And because I remember he took the, the glass, he drank from the glass, and then he put the glass on the, the shelf above me. Right. It's like, you know, the fact that that like seeds early on what essentially one of the main themes of the movie is going to be is like using the trauma in, in a way to help her survive her current situation. Uh, and, I, I and, thought that was just really smart. Yeah, that's, it, actually, that's actually really interesting yeah. that I hadn't thought about it in that specific yeah. way. I, I think you're absolutely right, though, that there's a um, that her it, what it also is, is I think when somebody experiences trauma, when any of us have something that is shocking or disconcerting. And generally, if you have that feeling like you, you, you the, the emotion is bigger than what is um, happening in the moment. It's because it is actually jogging. I mean, it's, you know, it's been written about and everything from the body keeps the score to, you know, it's, it's, it's a sort of that, that these, we are now, we're accessing something from a moment in our lives when we were young enough that we couldn't actually have agency over it. Right. And so I think that in, in those ways, 
whatever what what happens right there when you know Bruce when 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 he when there's a moment where something clicks that's not right yeah. Um, what also happens, and I think in her case happens, is that there's a certain kind of freezing effect that happens. Uh-huh. And so then in order to actually know what to do next, she has to retrace. And that, like you said, that retracing in the moment is going to then be some very symbolic for retracing a much larger part of her life. I'd like to ask you about, like, and I'm changing gears here a little bit, but I'm curious when you're shooting a film like Gerald's Game, where the subject matter is so heavy at all times like how are you maintaining your sanity on set (laughs) putting yourself like as an actor into this headspace over and over and over and over again like day in day out however long that shoot how long was that shoot that shoot was it was fast um boy you'd have to ask mike exactly i i think we shot that probably in 25 days right on okay Um, so for for about a month you're yeah you are living through Jesse's experience, like, how are you keeping, how is everyone keeping things light on set? Or like, how are you not just falling into despair? Um, Well, (laughs) uh, I was going to say there was also a presidential election that happened while we were shooting that, which which, which sent many of us into despair. Um, And And you used it for your art. Yes. And, um, uh, but, um, um, but also some people not into despair. And that was the interesting thing about being, um, in Alabama. You know, yeah. Yeah. Like being, being having <laughs> yeah, like, we got a taste sort of, of that while we like were out really, there. Yeah. Like really like witnessing going, Oh wow. This is also like, let me see, you know, we all can be so in our own, um, bubbles. bubbles. Yeah. yeah. But, but what I, uh, uh, but, but in regards to the movie, um, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I will definitely address that very specifically, but I actually found Olivia in The Haunting of Hill House even harder for me. Where I was shooting in Atlanta, I felt like I, I, I'm not even someone who, like, I don't not believe in ghosts, but I'm not someone who sees ghosts often, or that's a big yeah. part of my, but I felt like my apartment was haunted when I was there. I, I just, I was like, somehow I I did find that role really hard to get out of the mindset of it. And I think that was weirder because that was longer, a much longer shoot with longer periods of time in between shooting mm-hmm. for my character. So it felt like, uh, especially because in Hill House, she is, you know, interestingly kind of like Verna on some levels where she at the very beginning of the season you know there's a bit of a mystery about her so we don't get to see a lot of her and then the character builds as the show goes on Mm -hmm. um and so because that one was shooting in sequence I definitely felt like I had a pot that was simmering on the back burner of my life that I couldn't turn off but that I, I you know I couldn't let it go cold but I also couldn't keep it at a boil so I was I was really that was took some navigating with Gerald's game because Mike from the day that I had the first conversation with Mike that I was speaking about earlier until the day we were shooting on set was two weeks all mm. in. So there was no time to, I had to truly go ovaries to the wall um, <laughs> and, um, and just, and just jump off the cliff. And Bruce was such an amazing collaborator um, in doing so. He was also already attached to it with a different actress. So he had a whole, like, uh, you know, here, here comes this new person in, he has to adjust to that. Um, uh, it was, it was just like, there was no room for anything but absolute focus on, on how to, to make the story work and, and bring her to life. And so in a strange way, um, 
I was just galvanized and exhilarated the entire shoot to um, explore what this was and who she was. Mm. And, and, and also we did have the advantage because of the way it was shot and because so much of it was in one room, we were able to go in sequence for a lot of the stuff in that room. And that was really helpful for me in this instance, because so often, as we know, you don't do that. So I, I was given a gift of also seeing how things unfolded. Of course, there were scenes in the movie that we shot at different times, but but a, a nice bulk of it was that. So in that particular case, um, I remember Mike at some point coming up to me and saying, I don't understand how you're doing what you're doing and <laughs> you don't seem exhausted. And I was just energized. I was so incredibly mm. energized um, by probably just sheer terror. Um, but, you know, but, but it made me sort of, um, I've always been a good student and I, 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 I'm, I'm good at following direction. Like I like, I like to have a, I like to have a game plan to then throw it away. And so in a way I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do the kind of prep I wanted to do for that and that it was going to have to utilize other skills and, um, and namely they were about being extremely present um, and, and Bruce and I t- t- had many a meal where we just ran lines, cons- just, we had so much to say and we had so little time to learn it. So we did, right. you know, we did a lot of homework kind of it, it, when we weren't shooting. Yeah. That, that dude I feel is like kind of one of the undersung, underappreciated actors working Absolutely. today. I mean that it's, it's so that character should be just somebody that everybody fucking hates. Right. And yeah. there's just something about him that like there, there's something behind his eyes where the, the actions might be malevolent, but the, you know, but there's like a humanity there where you can't just fully go. This is just a, a, a caricature of, of a bad guy. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's something but, there and you see that, you see that in, in Usher too. And, you know, say, and, yeah. And, and in Usher, like adding on to the fact that he had to come in late in the game and and redo a bunch of stuff. It's like it, it, that show feels like it's built around Bruce Greenwood. Yeah. You know, and the fact that they, that Mike is able to fucking do that, that you guys and the way that you all interact with him and the way he carries himself, like he low key, I think Bruce Greenwood is like just one of the underrated actors working right now. I completely agree. I, I, and, and I, I have to say we were, we were joking about it because when Bruce came in to usher, he said, I'm pulling a Carla on Gerald's game, you know, because, <laughs> right. because the, I think we had <laughs> literally, yeah, I think we had like exactly the amount of like, it was, ex- it was just a flip flop of that scenario. So right. what was nice was I felt like I was there to be able to, as was everybody, but to be able to like, you know, welcome him with right. uh, open arms and yeah. I'm fascinated by this part of y'all's craft. Um, this, this thing where you might find yourself in a situation where you only have a week or two to learn an entire script. Um, like I, I guess it was last (laughs) year, maybe, um, Vespi and I were asked to film a (laughs) thing for, uh, Fangoria's chainsaw awards. Uh And it was like, we had to go to a location and it was a, a complicated thing where there were many setups and we would deliver dialogue uh, across like four or five different locations, right? Um, this was like a two-page script, right? <laughs> and they sent us the script, and I think Vespi and I both sort of assumed that there would be cue cards or something on the day, uh-huh. right? And there were not. And so, it was by just the way, like, they well, should you tell you the, that. I will you, tell you. Well, I will say because for that kind of thing, 
you you that's a that's a natural assumption. I just right. Say. Yeah, yeah it, I, I thought so. Yes, but well, there and were here's not. my problem and, is I didn't even I didn't even look at the script because uh, until the like the night before because it was just like here. It was presented to me as, hey, do you want to present a category? And the category is going to be this. And so I'm like, okay, cool. I, as long as on the day that I know this. And of course, this is my fuck up. I could have looked at it like, you know, five days prior. Right. But it, I opened it up. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is like a three page fucking scene, like with all very intricate changes. And, and it became something totally different. But I'll let Scott finish the story. Yeah. From and, well, we we flunked this test. Carla, so like you would not believe <laughs> so we just awful. Like, and I, you know, I, um, like I used to do stand up comedy and uh-huh. that, that involves a lot of memorization. You got to uh, memorization, wow. you got to write the Absolutely. material, you got to, and you got to perform it over and over and over again. And then it's like, it's just second nature. But those are like, you know, uh, those are bits, you know, right. that's a five, 10 minute thing that, you're already saying in your own words and it's conversational. It's not something, it's not words someone else is putting into your mouth. And so the idea of either of y'all finding yourself in a position where it's like, here's, here's the scripts. And especially in Bruce's case with fucking however many scripts Usher had, what six episodes, eight. Um, Eight. Yeah. Yeah. Like how are you doing that? Is, is it just, this well, might be the stupidest question you've ever been asked, but like, does it just come naturally? You you can memorize dialogue no, like well, that? I'll say a couple of things. No. I mean, some people are, have photographic memories. Uh, I mean, and not, I mean, I don't even mean just like crazy photographic memories, but like I have friends who can pretty much show up in the hair and makeup chair in the morning and look at a scene. And by the time we're on set, have it memorized. Mm-hmm. Now, granted that usually happens in a more television environment where they're giving you last minute pages and um, you know, it's sort of a little bit more of a, not punching a time card job, but you know, like a more daily job that you're doing sure. like a series for a long period of time. I still have never been able to do that. And for me, I also like something to percolate because I don't mm. like to memorize by rote. I like to actually kind of, feel where, what, where is this coming from in this person? And let me sit with that for a while. And, you know, and generally part of the memorization process for me is I, I write almost every single line down, which is extremely Mm. time consuming and not for everybody, but it's actually just the way that I learn. Um, so ideally I like to write it down. I like to record it. I like to take a walk and listen to it. I like, I actually do a lot of it's for me, memory isn't an, it's, it's not as if it's like, Oh great, let me get it. You know, for, for Usher, I mean, Verna speaks so much. If you look yeah. at scripts, <laughs> yeah. it really is just out of control. And so as does Bruce and, but I, um, Mike I, loves his monologues. So, and exactly. Yeah. And his, you know, his, you know, his flanologues, they're, they're fantastic. Um, but, um, but I, I, they are, they're the best. And, you know, and then it's generally also in one long push in. So it's not like you have any, you can't cut. It feels much more yeah. like theater in that way. And I think that's the thing is for me, that's really helped me that I do theater as well, because that's when you're really on the line because you're out on a stage in front of a live audience and you, you can't say, uh, just a minute, let me uh, line. You can't call for line. Like there's no right. you know world in which that, that happens. And so for example, for a, a scene like the last bar scene, when we finally come full circle in Usher <clears throat> and we have a very long bar scene with Zach and Willa and myself um, and, uh, and Verna's, you know, sort of doing most of the talking in, in that that was one that I just wanted to make sure was in my bones deeply, deeply, deeply so that I could just let go and see where it went. Uh-huh. And, um, and I remember the, uh, 
person who was operating the camera at that time, who was shooting the, my close up, he was, he afterwards, he just said, I've never, I've never really seen anything like that. Like you never once broke out or called for a lie or I don't know how you do that. And, and it was such an interesting thing because it wasn't magic. It was a lot of preparation, but it also was when you have great writing, it is so much easier to memorize you guys. Like, I know that sounds silly, but I have had the hardest time in a bad TV show memorizing two lines that I could memorize <laughs> in the same amount of time as an entire three page speech that Mike would write. You know what I mean? And like, here you're right. talking about Alf, I assume. Uh, ex- clearly. clearly. <laughs> well, Cyrano was writing. Cyrano a la Alf was, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. So, but, but, so I just, I, I, I think everybody has their own methods. Um, but for me, that is one of the scary things. You know, I think, a, I think a lot of people also just frankly wouldn't take a job two weeks out. Like I, I think most people mm-hmm. would just say, you know what, actually I don't have time to, to figure out how to pull it together mm-hmm. in that amount of time. So I do think it takes a certain kind of spirit. And I think Bruce and I are very simpatico that way, um, which is, acting is the thing we love the most. And so give us a challenge and you want to just try to put yourself to it. Um, but no, I, I actually think that, yes, like people who do crossword puzzles or which I'm terrible at, or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Or any kind of, the more you do it, the more you, like if I haven't worked right. for a few months, when I first go back, I'm like, oh, oh my God, I've forgotten how to memorize lines. And then within about a week, my body goes, oh, right. Oh, it's this thing. Ah, I got it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. The so idea of fun. recording them and listening back to them is is really interesting to me. It reminds me of like what DiCaprio, we see DiCaprio's character doing in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where he, yeah. he like records the opposite person's lines right. and then runs lines against himself. I had never... That never would have even occurred to me to do something like that. <laughs> and they but do have brilliant. like now, you know, yeah, they have, you know, um, I think it's called like line runner. They they do have um, things that you can now put the other person's lines in and they, and they work well. Read through, maybe one of them's called. But Wait, um, what, are, what are these? Is this like an app? They're, like you can get them. Yeah, it's an app. And you oh, can wow. now put in. Yeah. And a lot of people use them. I, I find them still just because I'm not super tech savvy for me, it like almost is more work. I, right. For me, it's like old fashioned, <laughs> yeah. it's a little bit easier. Right. But they're actually really amazing and they're extremely useful for learning lines. Um, the other thing for me, like on, in something not Gerald's game, but something like playing Verna, where, you know, the accents weren't initially written in, but we, I, it felt really important to differentiate these different incarnations. Mm, right. So I would take some of what Mike had written and go, oh, this person might be from the South or maybe this one is from the Midwest or and, and throw it out to him and then he'd see what resonated with him and what didn't. And, but in all of that, I, I had to record so many of those different lines uh, and hear them back because sometimes I'd have to play two of those people in the same day. And it felt like if I can just get a, a quick sound check in my ear, I know mm. who I'm playing and where her voice is sitting and all of that. So so that's also was a very specific one where I use those recordings quite a lot. Well, 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 it's once again time for the mid-roll ad read, and guess who's back, baby? Lumi Labs? It's Lumi Labs. It's our favorite. We are going to tell you guys a little bit about microdosing. That's right. That's when you take a little Lumi gummy throughout the day, so you you maintain a sense of chill and cool and calm. Uh, it's not about getting high, although you can do that if you if you really, really want to. It's it's about taking these little THC gummies throughout the day, maintain your chill, and help you relax. And I need that very desperately. Um, it, I've mentioned it over and over and over again, and by God, I will keep mentioning it because these things have really come in handy for me who 
I've struggled with insomnia. I've struggled keeping in and maintaining a non-vampiric sleep schedule. So when I use this product, what I do is I take them right before bed uh, and you don't get that funk and haze that you can get by taking like a melatonin. What it does is just relaxes me, help me get to sleep and I can interact with normal people during normal hours and not be uh, up at four in the morning wondering what the yes. hell am I doing with my life. So these Lumi gummies are aimed at helping you relax. It works. I can vouch for that. And the best part about it is that these THC gummies are available nationwide and they're not affected by your state's marijuana laws because it's not technically marijuana. They use a synthetic THC strain. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com. And if you like what you see, you can use the code KINGCAST to save 30% off your first order and get free shipping. Again, that's microdose.com, code KINGCAST. Now, with all that said, let's get back to the show. Another question I have for you is what do you what do you think about Jesse Burlingame as a as a character like and and do you spend any time thinking about her, you, you know, years after playing her? Mm. Is that a thing you do with your characters or is that you know, you know, like funny. once you're done it's with a, the job, it's you move. Right. On. That's a cool question. Um, I uh, I think they all just live in me. You know, they keep uh-huh. living in you. Like, I, I do think that. So there will be. I've often found like with different characters, some I don't want to be anything like, and I'm so glad I just get to play them. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's such a kind of exciting thing because you get to go to the shadow parts of yourself and go, whoa, this is, you know, I'm glad this isn't my life, but, but everything is in all of us. So here we go. Uh Um, And other ones I really learn from. And I think, you know, oh, I wish I could be more, uh, you know, have more confidence or I wish I could um, be more articulate like this. That's interesting. Or I wish I could, you know, and so, so those also allow me to have access to um, different parts. You know, one of the things with Verna and I'll come back to Jesse, I don't know why it's, it's, it's interesting that I, I, there's such different characters, but there, there are certain questions that you're asking that I feel are pertinent to both Um, with Verna. One of the key things is she doesn't have um, human morality. She doesn't, she Mm -hmm. doesn't, fall under right. as you were talking about puritanical or any kind of thing. She, she just doesn't have that good, bad. It's not the way that she looks at things. So she is the hand of fate. She executes a job. And one thing that I didn't want that was for her to be, you know, she is non-judgmental, but she, except for when a couple characters really get to her, but, um, <laughs> but she, she, for the most part um, had to have this kind of equilibrium and this, non-reactivity. She is a keen observer with great curiosity, curiosity as to how these human specimens will behave. And that was really calming to me playing that character because Mm -hmm. I'm a worrier. um, I can be anxious about things. I, um, you know, I have, uh, I, 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 it was really actually like uh, probably very good for my nervous system to embody her. (laughs) Um, And you're just um, an id. Exactly. It was, it was really like, so, um, and then, but, but Jesse, um, you know, I think I just have had such compassion for that character and, um, Uh and, and, and I love that she, I think the thing I think about with that character is just that she was way, way stronger than anyone had ever led her to believe. Mm -hmm. And at some point she stopped believing those people. And found her own strength, and for me, that's just such a um, cool yeah. arc. And right. what I wish for all of us, frankly, you know, yeah, a beautiful well, sentiment. 
love it. Um, it, it occurs to me that we neglected to get your Stephen King origin story. Um, oh. But this this might tie into a question. Well, first of all, I we I want you to give, give us your Stephen King origin story, and maybe it'll it'll uh, uh, twist itself into an answer to this question. But when you're jumping into a character, you have the script. But if it's adapted from a book, do you look at the the book source material or do you completely ignore it? We've talked to actors who do one or the other. Like they they have a strong right. inclination of the script is the only thing that matters. Or uh-huh. like in uh, I interviewed Bill Skarsgård once about uh-huh. uh, like Pennywise and it, and and he said you know that he went to the book because so much there's like a whole chapter of the book told from Pennywise's point of view that is never shown in the script, right. and it helped him get into that character, uh, and you pulling from the source material. So what is your Stephen King origin story? And were you pulling anything from the, uh, beyond the script from the right. source material? Right. Um, okay, cool. Um, well, my, my Stephen King origin story would be for me was Pet Cemetery when I read Pet mm-hmm. Cemetery, mm-hmm. which I'm, I'm guessing that I would have been around 11 or 12 when I read perfect it. Perfect age. Um, yeah. Perfect age. Also, fucking terrifying i think pet cemetery is still one of his scariest i mean in truth i haven't reread mm-hmm. it but like for me that one has has just i think the whole i think like church like churchill the cat you know was such mm-hmm. a um i i had a cat at that time named rubby a little orange cat oh, um, no. that i um you know that i was just so um everything about that that sort of the fact that the the idea i think it was the first time i ever thought about any kind of because I don't know if I think I saw poltergeist after that, but mm. it was that notion of any kind of like burial ground situation. I don't think I had ever thought of that as a kid that like there, there could be, you could be on land that other people had inhabited and they were treated badly. And then they were, you know, not happy. And you were like, you know, this sort of like, it just opened up this chasm of terror. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I, you know, I spent a lot of time living with my mom in, in, um, in houses, but also we, li- you know, we, we, we had a, we lived in a van at one point, we lived mm-hmm. in a teepee at one point. We had, we lived in Big Sur along the highway where you would constantly have the deer and animals getting mm-hmm. hit in this roadkill. And so all of it felt very like this could happen. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, so, so that for me was just uh, it, it really, um, I, I think, needless to say, he's one of our greatest writers and has access to that genre of storytelling in a way of, in which he tells stories that are, is kind of incomparable. And so you can go now and be like, well, there's the dead zone, there's misery, there's the shining, there's Carrie, you know, and obviously Carrie, I have particular affinity for as the movie, just because of working with De Palma and, and right. that experience. And, and there was a moment, by the way, I will say this because it, it does call back to, to the movie, but I remember when I was shooting snake eyes and we had this huge, uh, the, the, you know, it was, it was on film. So there was, it was like a reel was a reel and you couldn't a reel a film. And, you know, we would, the whole first take, um, carrying Nicholas Cage into the casino and up into the, um, the fight, you know, the, mm-hmm. the um, auditorium and was all one shot. And I come in at the very end of the shot and I'm wearing all white with a blonde wig. And then I get shot and I'm covered in blood and I'm like, I'm in a De Palma movie. <laughs> you know, it's in, like, in a very De Palma fucking scene. Exactly. By the way. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like the epitome of, right. of De Palma. And, um, but it was so terrifying because I knew if they had gotten to me, that meant everything went okay because there was no splicing or, you know what I mean? It was none right. of that. And so, um, and so of course it's that moment where you feel literally like I might forget to how to walk. Like I might forget, like maybe my, <laughs> my, my, you know, I'm not going to like be able to open my mouth. Like something is going to go terribly wrong. 
thankfully it it didn't in that regard although i had this you know it was a huge scene with all these people and and uh and and again it was when they weren't replacing background actors or anything so it was just mm-hmm. thousands and thousands of people in there and uh, I'm supposed to be shot in the chest and, I, and my squib goes off, you know, and and I wouldn't have been able to hear it. So I had to have somebody across the way signaling me when I was to be hit so I could react. Right. But I saw the signal and and I, I my hand went up too fast and the squib exploded into my finger. Ooh. And it was super painful and it all turned out to be fine, but it was, it was, um, but I didn't care. Like I just worked through it because I was like, I didn't ruin the take, you know, and I was right. also a very young actor. So anyway, um, but um, but yeah, but as I go on to, to speak about all of, you know, it's like there's just innumerable books and films that have come from the mind of Stephen King. Um, but as you so keenly, I'm sure the reason you ask everybody this question is because the one that you started with is mm-hmm. the one that opened like a world to you, certainly right. in this case, a world to me that I was unfamiliar with. Um, I hadn't read anything like it, you know, I think um, To Kill a Mockingbird was, was the <laughs> that was the scariest book you, know you read I mean? up no, to this yeah point. like i think that was yeah. the, um, yeah, well there is a character named boo in exactly it, to, be, to be fair exactly. i mean that's kind of scary so. <laughs> it's still one that's also one of my favorite books but uh, yeah it's incredible yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. did, oh yeah so and then in yeah. terms of reading books for you know it this one actually really depends project for a project by project right. um and it because it just does depend on how far something's departing from the book um you know with something like watchmen which was obviously a graphic novel but Zack snyder right. wanted to be so allegiant to it i had not read watchmen before so i felt really it was important to me to to actually really uh know it from the bottom up on that one gerald's game i did look at the book um i did read it um i i have to say like reading it and because mike is such a beautiful adapter of king like it's just such an organic thing it actually felt like it gave me um uh it ground it, it gave me more uh, ground to stand on mm. um because again i was doing this also quickly so anything i could devour that would help me i wanted right. to um but at the same time then ultimately kind of i'm sure there were many ways that that affected me that i don't even know but i felt like that script was so tight and that he had um, even the parts of Gerald's game with some, which some people, you know, had problems, which, which, which was the end of it. You know, people mm. were like, Oh, it, you know, but then it goes into the sort of storytelling kind of thing. It's like, no, no, that was really important to the book. And I love yeah. that Mike s- stayed with that, you know? And, yeah. um, and so I think for me, it was really important <laughs> to have read the book and know what he was right. adapting. Well, Mike's fidelity is one of his fucking superpowers and that he's able to do that and he doesn't give a shit if say Bruce Greenwood says all things serve the beam and knowing right. that 99.9% of the people flipping on Netflix and throwing that on are, aren't going to have any goddamn idea what that means totally. you know or even the because they he, he you guys dedicate a long time to talking about uh, Dolores Claiborne like the, yeah, the flash to Dolores totally. Claiborne like which if if you don't know that story or you don't know you know King inside and out you go like what is what is this about but he ground he you know he's able to massage that shit in there so yeah uh, one he's brave about it he doesn't give a fuck if you know about it or not uh, and two he does it usually in a way where you're you're um uh you yeah, know you roll with it you roll exactly with it, you where know? if you don't yeah. have the context it still works within the right, story right. Um, no, I, I agree. Uh, You know, he, he is, I I just, uh, I I also think what he did with Dr. Sleep was so beautiful. Um, and, uh, and, and I know if I'm not mistaken, I think Stephen King just loved that. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because I know obviously the shining is not his favorite. So, um, um, according to Mike, that sort of 
smooth some things over for for King yeah. <laughs> in the process, which is, yeah. I, I mean, I think imagine being responsible for that. I know. <laughs> Thanks, I know. Kubrick. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but it's it's really interesting because I think he gave he gave King the the sense of closure on it because yeah. he's able to now marry the imagery and the iconography of Kubrick's adaptation, which is unquestionably strong and poignant and almost genre defining. Um, yeah. But also he's able to marry that with, with his own material. Cause he got, he got the, the ending, you know, he got the payoff with Danny that he didn't get with uh, Jack Torrance in the, yeah. in the book. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And again, I mean, you know, these things end up becoming, um, you know, an adaptation of film adaptation becomes its own thing. So for me, the shining is one of my favorite movies. Um, mm-hmm. But but from when I saw Dr. Sleep, it was like, oh, he's doing something completely different. And in fact, he's doing something that's in a collaboration with King that's very different. And I would think for Stephen King would be, like you're saying, incredibly gratifying because yeah. so oftentimes when you give your thing away, it becomes something else. You know, it's, right. the same, it's the same thing with the performance as, you know, it's one of the reasons I do love stage is it's really such an actor's medium, even though I started in film and television. But at the end of the day, you're just up there alone on a stage with fellow actors, mm. um, whereas film is a director's medium. It just is and an editor's medium. And so you give your performance. And if you have a wonderful editor and a wonderful director, they can make your performance even better. Um, because they're noticing all the nuances of what you're doing. And right. if you have a poor director, a poor di- you, you go, oh, wait, you missed all the good stuff that was there, you know, and all right. of a sudden it becomes something else. So I'm sure I can only imagine how many times Stephen King has gone through that. Can I ask you a question that really, might get way, you into it? Was, was a genius. It's just that that was a different telling of that story, I should say. Yes. Um, you know, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Um, can I ask you a question that might get you into trouble with Mike, but he doesn't listen Uh-oh. to the show. So it's Uh-oh. Fine. Um, Mike is, you know, he's, he's working on life of Chuck right now. It's, it's done shooting. I imagine we'll see that in the coming year, but he is also gearing up for this, this dark tower series, which is a sprawling seven book series with a bazillion (laughs) fucking characters in it. And, um, I'm wondering if he has had any discussions with you about this project. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have been told of the project. Uh-huh. Um, I have been told of the many characters, uh-huh. um, and I have not been told any specifics in regards to um, uh, myself. You're um, going to end up in uh, that shit, dude. Uh, other than, <laughs> other than that, he's he's you know he is he's cooking. He's cooking all cooking um, with all burners. Are so, you familiar um, with the Dark Tower series? Somewhat, but of course, this one would be one for me that I that I um, if I am fortunate enough to be invited to play, um, I will do my my full my full deep dive. You you got I hope you're a ready lot to read of eight thousand pages. I know, yeah, I know. Right, but it's but it's so good. Once you you're you're gonna start the series, and once you get into the first like two chapters of the second, the first book's a really quick book. Right. Once you get in the first two chapters of the second book, you know, it's either going to be, I'm, I'm ride or die. And I'm in this for, for the rest of it. Or you go, Oh, this is going to be challenging for me. Right. Right. Interesting. It's like, yeah. you, you know, you'll know that pretty straightforward. And there, the series has ups and downs, but by the time the downs hit, you are so invested in the characters. It doesn't fucking matter. Right. And, and, so and why do you, cause you, do you guys, you, do you guys both love it? Oh is, yeah, is, yeah. yeah. This is early thing chapter and verse. You know, yeah. yeah, it was one of the early things Scott and I bonded over, and and honestly, it was a lot of our Dark Tower discussions when I first had the idea for the show. The reason why Scott was the top of my list to, to ask to come on because we've, yeah, you know, because we've known this because for a long time Dark Tower was the, it was like the niche of the niche. If totally. you're like 
King. Right. And it, it's become a little bit more mainstream now. I think a lot of it, and I mean, not mainstream. I sound like a fucking, you know. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, what, but that's what, true. I, it it has, it uh, has reached, I mean. With the Marvel comics, with yeah, yeah. The, the 2017 movie that isn't good, but you know, like it became I, a little bit more on the forefront. Yeah. I was going to say there's real room for it to be, doesn't feel like it's actually been super successfully Nope. No. Oh, oh yeah. It's, nope. It's, yeah. It's, there has been no adaptation that is is actually tapped that, into what. That's what I've heard. Yeah. That's. What, I mean, once yeah. you like, once you dig into it, you realize like, oh, that's why it would be hard to. Yeah. To do this, it's a genre hopping. You know, it's yeah. science fiction. It's horror. It's romance. It's adventure. It's a western. It's a metaphysical thing. It's like. Yeah, yeah, so that's... so there there's that and then there is also the fact that like one of the main characters throughout the entire thing is like a you know like a 12-year-old boy and how do you yeah. solve that problem? You know, right. like how are you going to shoot this fucker yeah. basically? Um, no, it's so exciting. I am so thrilled that that um Mike is going to have the opportunity to make it because I know it's been something that he's been talking about for so long and he's so incredibly passionate about. And I think that I can't imagine literally another person who could embody all of those genres and make it feel seamless. I can't either, but I I think it's going to consume him to some degree. Oh yeah. I mean, how could it not? Right. Just like from an, like, and I'm being serious, like from a, from an artistic creative standpoint, like you are, this is a bigger thing. Like I'm not saying (laughs) the dark tower is better than Lord of the Rings in any way. Right. But it is a more substantial job than that right wow. it's like there's so much more material there's there's it's a harder ask from the audience yeah yeah it's i mean yeah. how do you not i would not want to be in that position i don't <laughs> I, I don't i would but, not want that response i don't like a lot of responsibility but you know <laughs> i mean he doesn't he doesn't seem to be a man who like shirks a challenge he doesn't um, seem to be a know. man who fucking <laughs> sleeps, Carla. Exactly. I know. That is amazing. I, I, I would agree with you on that. He, he he is like super powered for sure. And yeah, and he writes like the devil. I mean, he he said he wrote Chuck over a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, and then the we, and, I, and I and I've read I've read we've read his script. It's fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like how like what deal with the devil did you make? Yeah. You know, to, to, to be able to do this. But but once you read uh, Dark Tower and I highly whether or not uh, he asks you to do and fucking of course he is he, you know if if I know anybody that likes to bring back his stable of people yes, no, to has, work with it's him so of course I mean listen to it. if, uh, if he doesn't him. invite you into this you you pissed him off you didn't send him a Christmas card <laughs> exactly, right? you, exactly. you pissed him off but if you start reading this you will understand how exciting it is for Mike yeah. to be doing this like on a whole nother level and just how it plays to so many of his talents uh, so many it, there are so many great characters and characters. Like, I mean, just speaking of like Verna, she has her moments where she's like really malevolent. Yeah. And then she has her moments where, you know, like I'm thinking of the last episode, I won't spoil it where there's a kind of kindness to, to mm-hmm. what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, there's a lot of that throughout, you know, our protagonist here, yeah. Roland, who, you know, he has a giant journey to go on where he's a fucking bastard, rat bastard, son of a bitch, but he becomes somebody you love and would follow into the depths of hell. You know, it's like, so, so Mike is, is absolutely, you know, just a number one, you know, maybe I could think of some people who might, you know, 
shoot you know shoot it better or you know some people who might be able to do like a Guillermo del Toro thing it's so funny I was just gonna say you could imagine that whatever. Guillermo del Toro but would I, I can't it. think of anybody who can cut to the essence of what makes Dark Tower you know so addicting to those sure. who love it yeah than, than somebody like Mike and so thrilling and, and, and I it, it's gonna be a challenge for him it, you know I mean listen we're all speaking as if you know, he's shooting now. We no fingers crossed it. It happens. Uh, yes. But like uh-huh. if, if the fates allow it, it's, you know, it could stand the chance of being an all timer thing. Like, uh, uh, yeah, know. I like your yeah. thinking. I, 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 it's very potentially extremely exciting for, for, you know, him, for, for his collaborators and also for everybody to get to actually, um, you know, I, I do love that, that his relationship with Stephen King on a creative level is just seems like something it's it's been it's really special. I have one more question for you, and uh, then we should probably and the cop and the cops are coming. I know. Yeah. And then, I, know I was going to say then I'll be taken away. Um, no, I actually I actually do have to go soon too. Yes. But, um, but yes. yes, I am in New York, so sadly I'm always surrounded. And, and by the way, there's a fire station right across the street from where I am right now. So that's the well, that's that's some good security. There. Exactly. Yeah, what peace the of mind. Fuck was the question I was going to ask? Oh, I just shit. had it. Oh um, come on! No, no, no. hold on, hold on. I got it. Uh, I have a quickie one if you want. Yeah, go ahead, wanna, please. Yeah. All right. So my final question will be, I, we can't have you on talking about Gerald's game and not talking about the Deke loving scene. So <laughs> I would, I would love to know, because this is a moment where your character, it's, it's triumphant, but it's also her last desperate. Right. Attempt, measure, right. Yeah, totally. it, but it's, it's the culmination of every bit of reliving her trauma has led up to this moment. There's a, a relief mm-hmm. to, to the thing. And, and again, rewatching it recently, I was paying very close attention to what you were doing here. The, I think that there would have been an instinct for the moment where you're cutting into your, your wrist and your right. palm, which by the way is still, it still makes me shake my hand. Like I have a Polaroid <laughs> picture in it. I cannot watch that fucking scene yeah, and not just like go get the oogie boogies on. It's it, right? perfect. Um, but there's a mo there's a look on your face where it's, I, I would have imagined that the instinct would have been to play up the pain mm-hmm. and not the, yes, this is triumph. This is what I'm, I'm working for. Uh, and, and that's, what's coming through is more often like, ha Yes. Yes. I'm doing this versus how oh, this fucking sucks. Right? right. Um, so could you maybe talk a little bit about your approach to, to that moment and, uh, just how, how it was executing that scene? Well, I do think that, that because of the, the prosthetic because of the way that we set it up because of the parts of it that were real um, in regards to, you know, actually able, I was able to be cutting something, all, all of that. Yeah. I felt like that did some of the work also because of the way that that script is set up right before that Jesse processes a bunch of stuff and then it's go time. Mm-hmm. And she knows that she has no time to have a reaction to anything if there's any chance of getting this done. So I actually loved that that was really in the writing, which was, Mm. which was, it did, it didn't determine, you know, it didn't refer to any emotion or anything like that one way or the other. That was just sort of what my interpretation of it was, which was, okay, all of the voices have had their time. All of the fear has come and gone. And now it's either going to work or it's not going to work. And it's, get down to business. And that was actually, and that felt right to Mike too. So that was a, that was definitely something that felt like, um, he set it up to be that way. And it was really intuitive for me that way. And then it felt like that was okay. Okay. We got that. That is the way that we're going to make that build happen. Mm. Okay. I, excellent. You got your question? Uh, Yeah. Excellent (laughs) answer. I was listening. 
I wasn't just thinking <laughs> the entire time. I remembered it like two seconds into that. But um, but yes, uh, my question is this. Are you aware of what a miracle movie Gerald's Game is? And what I mean by that is I think a lot of people could adapt Salem's Lot or mm-hmm. Pet Cemetery or or even The Shining, really. Like, um, but Gerald's game is a novel that I think anyone in their right mind would look at and be like, this does not work as a movie. Yeah. And Mike sort of specializes in these kind of King adaptations. Um, Dr. Sleep should not have worked as a fucking movie. Mm -hmm. Gerald's game should not have worked. Life of Chuck should not work as a movie. And what I saw of what he was shooting convinced me that, and the script, like, convinced me, like, yeah, he, yep, once again, he's going to hit this one out of the park. Like, yeah. are you, like, are, are you aware of that? You know, like, do, like, do you uh, realize what y'all pulled off here? Well, first of all, I appreciate it. And I, yeah, I feel like, you know, that, that really is a testament to Mike. But I, um, I, I do think that there was a, I, I knew that it had, it had been, um, you know, everyone said it was unmakeable and unfilmable and, uh-huh. and a terrible idea for an adaptation and all these things. And, <laughs> and, you know, and he sort of acknowledged that too, when we spoke the first time was like, nobody thinks this can happen, but I, I think it could, you know? And, um, and I think, I think I have a way in and I think this is it. And so for me, that in and of itself was almost reason to just say yes, because yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think I do have a part of me that when someone says something's impossible uh, and I feel like you have the right elements to make it possible, you got to try. Yeah. Um, You're like, oh, yeah, so, fucking yeah. watch. So, yeah. So I think that that was that was part of it, too, um, was the feeling that that there was a he really had a, a clear way in that felt like just talking to him about it, I felt like I'm going to be in such good hands with this person. Right. And, um, and I think that's the thing with Mike as a director is that he's such a, uh, well, he's, he's usually adapted, written it. So he also has, um, as I find with all, all great writer directors that, um, they aren't, um, they're, there's like, there's a gentle, um, uh, I think I said this, I, I, there's like a gentle perfectionism with him, which is like, he's very precise, but so am I. So I literally like that. I don't like sloppiness. So mm. I really like that sort of precision, but he's also not controlling. So you feel like you have a really nice, strong hand as a director. And yet there's also, therefore, within that, this kind of freedom to explore. And and I really mm. love it when you're given those kind of parameters and then you get to be free within that. Um, but it doesn't work if you don't have the parameters or the vision. So, um, so for me, I did feel like, huh, this guy, I think he's got a way in. Let's, let's see. <laughs> and I'm so glad that it was able to come to fruition. Awesome. Mm. That's well, really cool. Um, yeah. This is usually the point in the show where we turn it over to our guests uh, to kind of tell people uh, where to find them, what they're working on, what, what they're promoting right now. Um, you're not necessarily promoting uh, House of Usher right now, but we, well, I assume well, that most of our listeners have already are. seen it. Well, I it. kind of am. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm promoting Usher for anybody who hasn't seen it for sure. Yes. And also, you know, and also for, um, you know, I do feel like right now is the time to to galvanize the, the troops to, um, you know, this is sort of um, the season of acknowledgement in regards to, you know, the show will be, it won't be this, the Emmys that are happening in January, but it'll uh-huh. be um, submitted for the next ones. And it's sort of at this moment, it's like, there's actually the first time that any 
press or anybody can talk about it um, with actors. So um, I think it's just exciting to be able to um, have it out there now when we can speak about it. Yeah. And um, and yeah, and 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 really, that's sort of. Um, uh, I, I did a movie called Lisa Frankenstein. Yes, um, Diablo Cody. Really fun, exactly, yeah. which Diablo wrote. And, and, um, and Zelda, right? And Zelda Williams directed. Yeah. And um, Catherine Newton and Cole Sprouse. It's really wonderful. Totally crazy movie. Um, sort of like weird science meets Edward Scissorhands. Um, it's, it's got a, it's just wacky and, and, and really fun. And that comes out um, Valentine's Day. It's like yeah. a total twist, twisted Valentine's movie. Um, but, um, but yeah, I just got an opportunity in that one to play something that I never get offered, which is just a super straight up um, comedic role. And, 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 oh, that, nice. that, and that was fun, like very extreme. Um, and, I thought you were uh, going to say an old man. No, like I haven't done that either yet. Um, but uh, uh, no, like a, t- a take on a you know a, t- a variation on a on a really um, problematic stepmother, um, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and so that's what's that's that's the most imminent next thing. Awesome. Right. Well, yeah. we we look forward to seeing that. We love House of Usher. If uh, anyone listening to this, I I I believe that probably ninety nine percent of our audience has already watched House of Usher. <laughs> but I will tell you something if. You watched it when it came out. You mainlined it, and uh, you you loved it. Go back and rewatch it because on rewatch every single time I've watched it, uh, I I notice new things in it that I didn't see before. It's it's a show yeah. that rewards those kind of uh, repeat viewings. And I do love that Mike always hides Easter eggs in there. Yeah, always. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and there's just some of the the jokes are so subtle that you yeah. don't pick up on them the first time. Totally. It's just. Man, that thing's a fucking masterpiece. Anyway, mm-hmm. congratulations on your Critics' Choice nomination, and we're Thank rooting you. for you. I mean, <laughs> we're rooting you, for everyone, but you're the one on Indeed. the show, so we're mostly rooting for you. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. In this moment, you're rooting for me, and I appreciate that. Yes, and, <laughs> uh, and, and we hope to talk to you again somewhere up the road. Likewise. Thank you so much. Many thanks to Carla Gugino. What a delight. What can I say? We're so yeah. happy to ha- have her on the show. Um, our uh, Patreon subscribers might remember that she joined us once uh, last year with uh, Mike Flanagan to do a commentary for Gerald's Game, which yes. is still exclusive on our Patreon, FYI. So if you like what you heard, go on over to patreon.com slash thekingcast and you can hear even more of her going in-depth into uh, Gerald's Game. Absolutely. Everyone should do that. I was yeah. surprised when we announced her as being on the show. People were like, finally. And I was like, well, technically, she's been on the show before. Um that's why y'all got to get on that Patreon action. A whole Gerald's game commentary just waiting. Just a click of a button away. <laughs> Head on over there and check it out. Um, she, and yeah, she's a she's a delight. I, you know, happy to talk to her anytime. And it was great to talk to her, not just about Gerald's game, but also about Fall of the House of Usher. You know, we got an opportunity to kind of stretch our legs a little bit uh, outside of the King Kingiverse for for a minute and yeah. nerd out about uh, another bit of genre for for a good 20, 30 minutes. So I don't know. I was really happy with how this turned out. And uh, yeah, absolutely. And I was psyched to have her have her on the show. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, Yeah. So let's talk about uh, next week. Speaking of being psyched uh, next week, I think is going to be a particularly uh, anticipated episode, I believe, from uh, a large section of our of our listenership. You want to fill them in on what's going on? You've been you've been asking for it. We we finally got it and we got it in right under the wire, just like we said we would. Uh, We are ending the year with Matt Fraction on the Dark Tower Book 5, Wolves of the Kala. Yes. 
Yeah, so you you know Matt, you know obviously from his comic book work on Hawkeye and whatnot, but he's also the showrunner on uh, on that new and pretty badass Godzilla show. Uh, yeah, Monarch. Monarch. Yeah, and so we talked with him a bit about that, and he dives into Wolves of the Kala, which is a very uh, Dark Tower fans know this is a very interesting book as it kind of is the delineating book, the one that that uh, sets the tone for the final. Yes, uh, run in Dark Tower, and uh, what's great about doing this, and you know, because uh, for people who don't remember, Matt is reading these books fresh, and so when he does these, uh, we're talking about the books as they stand without him knowing what's coming next, right? And we're, so we we do our best not to spoil what's coming up and in, in later on on in the series, and uh, you know that comes with uh, pluses and minuses, and so you know you. You get very raw reactions. I feel like, uh, without giving away too much of, of of the episode, I feel like this is the first of the books where he was, I wouldn't say struggling with it, but also noticing is like, oh yeah, this is bordering on on something that that uh, uh, he wasn't sure that he was going to like until he got like deeper into it. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So it's a very yeah. uh, very chewy episode, as Matt's episodes typically are. We're thrilled to have him back for a, a fourth go around, and we got. Two more to get done with him before we bring this bad boy in for a landing. And I, right. I, I am very hopeful that we're actually going to get that accomplished. And then on Friday, we have our Patreon bonus episode. We got a brand new episode every Friday. So make sure, again, to sign up over at patreon.com slash the KingCast. This one, we're bringing in an author by the name of Lee Gambin. Uh, it's an uh, Australian author who has written many books, including uh, kind of oral histories and making of books of Cujo, Carrie, and Christine. Uh, so we brought him on to talk a little bit about that. And thank God Lee's a talker because we like, we, we were just talking about this before we started recording. Like we'd ask him a question and then he would answer like four questions we didn't ask. It's one of those episodes. It's like one of these, you know, one of these great, uh, you know, where he anticipated what we were going to ask. Yes. And, and <laughs> yeah, didn't did. make us do the work. I love it when guests do that. So, oh, it was, oh, so those, those episodes are so easy. Yes. It's, it's the best. We can sit back and, and go, look, this guy, he, this guy's used to asking questions. He knew what we were going to ask. Yeah. Um, and uh, and he ran with it. So if you want some insights into his relationships with all these people associated with some very classic Stephen King movies and insights that he learned while digging up trivia on them, uh, there's, you know, this is the episode for you. I think you guys are going to dig it. It's a. It's, it's a real in-depth look uh, at Cujo, Christine, and, and Carrie based on his conversations with the people who helped make those movies. So that's what you got to look forward to there. And uh, yeah, so I think that's it. I'm, I, I got no more housekeeping. Nope, let's bring this year in for a landing. Yeah, we're almost done. We're almost done. One more, one more week of episodes until 2024. Are you ready for the, that, Scott? I am. I am. And we've got a, a strong start to uh, 2024 plan, so buckle up for that. Hell yeah. Look at you being a big old tease, big yes. teasing machine over there. Yes, um, that's what they tell right. me. All right, so yeah, we'll see y'all back in the main feed next week with Matt Fraction on Dark Tower Five: Wolves of the Kala, and uh, this Friday on our Patreon with Mister Lee Gammon. Adios, folks. Bye. The Kingcast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly.